We are today closing four weeks, uh, the last four weeks of discussing constant, crushing, nagging guilt. Uh, Sounds so fun. Yeah, it's been a fun, it, it, I, I feel like I've really enjoyed this, <laughs> at least the conversations that have come out of it, even mm -hmm. though the topic itself is like, oh yeah, that's true, I feel that too. Um, I mean, I, I think we spent some time, we identified this as one of like the emotional or spiritual predicaments uh, for people of our time in our culture. Uh, we talked about some of the reasons why. We've talked about this logic of acceleration that dominates how we live life in America. We've talked about individualism and the pros and cons of that. And we've talked about this movement from feel it, people feeling generally guilty before a holy God to now today in our world where people feel guilty before ourselves. We mm -hmm. are the judge, jury, and executioner of our own punishment. Um, and we've talked about how to navigate that as best we can because this is atmospheric. It's all around us, and there's no way to just like get rid of it. Um, so... But there's been a lot of discussion of those kind of things. Forgiveness has been a key thing that we've talked about. But today we wondered if we wanted to talk about a close relative to forgiveness, but distinct in, in certain ways, and that is grace. Mm -hmm. um, do you, do you want to do our quick definition, and then and then maybe I can fill in some of the um, the, the the holes in terms of talking about grace, like the yeah. uh, difference between forgiveness and grace. Yeah. So it's been helpful for us, and I'm I hope this is helpful to um, to think about forgiveness more as reactionary, and grace as pre-existing. Yeah. Um, I think that when we were talking about being in the flow of forgiveness, it could get a little bit confusing of what that actually means for us interpersonally. And if there isn't some instance or case of wrongdoing or some, some harm that's been done, maybe it feels a little bit more true to be in the flow of grace. Grace rather than yes. forgiveness. Yeah, 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 yeah. I liked your, I think it was you when we were talking about this, used the, the term pre-existing. Grace mm -hmm. is this kind of thing that's always there, whether it, whether we're talking about reacting to a specific situation or not. Um, what it got us thinking about it, that's behind a lot of this guilt conversation is that in our culture where like it's up to every individual to figure out meaning and purpose for themselves, to feel limited is to feel broken. If you cannot do it yourself, you feel fundamentally wrong in some way, and thus we are constantly driven to prove ourselves. I'm not broken, I'm not broken, because if we feel broken, then we feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And so we want to prove ourselves, kind of, we're kind of looking around, maybe, maybe not even realizing it, we're constantly trying to prove ourselves so that we don't feel that guilt of being broken. And this is like the great freedom and depression of our age, right? Like we, we all must like, create ourselves, prove ourselves to the world. And that's, that's like wonderful, right? Like we can prove ourselves to the world. Wow, in previous times that wasn't possible. And yet we have to prove ourselves to the world. Oh, you know, it's both wow and uh at the same time. And grace is the way that we embrace the limitations of that. Yes. Is the way we, we, we can know we're experiencing grace when we don't feel that constant crushing drive to prove ourselves, I think. Yeah, I've been um, just even thinking about how forgiveness and grace hold different connotations and how you have forgiveness as this flow from maybe not doing the right thing, if there is a right thing to be doing, experiencing some guilt, and then either needing to offer forgiveness or accept forgiveness. Yep. Yep. And then the flow of grace is coming up against your own limitations, 
feeling some guilt, maybe feeling some shame mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. and then being able to experience grace through embracing those limitations rather than trying to pretend like they don't exist. Yeah, that's the flow we want to enter into today. Yes. Um, I think, like currently, I feel so much in touch with my limitations and this term that we've used a couple of times during this series, time sickness, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, like the, the feeling that you never, there's never enough time. There's not enough time to do it all. Um, that is absolutely for me lately, even like this past week. Um, I feel like if I, if um, something breaks, then everything breaks. <laughs> There's like this chain of decision making that needs to happen or planning that needs to happen for work, you know, for me mm-hmm. here helping the church keep running or uh, home with children or in my, you know, in my home that I have to take care of because things keep breaking. Why do things always break? <laughs> and if anything, everything has to be so well planned but also so flexible at the same time that I just, I feel like there's never enough time. And so I've just been so confronted with that. But what I've realized is that like, when, I, when I am confronted with those limitations, when the plans I'm exhaustively trying to make sure all work inevitably don't work, what, how I react, I, I think of the way I'm reacting a lot, it, even this week, was, is a lot of anger and self-pity. Hmm. Like, I think the way that anger and self-pity is expressed for me is like expletives under my breath. I wonder if anybody <laughs> else does that. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say it on the mic. Um, <laughs> That's the way it comes out for me. And, uh, and I was explaining this this week with, with a friend of mine on the phone, um, and they asked me a really interesting question. They said, how do you wish you could respond? Hmm. And um, I hadn't been thinking about what we're talking about this Sunday, but I think it's been back in my mind because immediately the word came to me. I was like, I wish I could spend with more grace. I wish that I, wish that I could be um, excessively gentle with myself, like mm-hmm. the John O'Donohue poem that Laura read. And I want to... Um, I want to. I want to be like, oh, you know, like when things don't go according to plan. Oh, plans! How <laughs> oh, they're so wonderful and they're so fragile. You know, like I, that's a, that's the that's the way I wish that I could respond. Um, I think I need that kind of uh, like I need to foster a more pre-existing reality of grace if I'm going to respond that mm-hmm. way. And uh, and it, it's hard. It's it's yeah. hard to actually get there. Yeah, even thinking about the word graceful and like seeing a dancer or someone that you'd say like, oh, that person it's is graceful. so graceful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This, it's the beauty of being really intentional, but also being flexible mm-hmm. and open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think about that, like those two things together. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. That that's, you hold both of those things. Yeah. I, so one, um, a picture of grace for me, I remember seeing uh, a video of, um, an English conductor who's like, who's the director of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. His name is Benjamin Zander. Um, and he kind of got popular like in the early 2000s because he had a big TED talk that went viral. And, um, and he's, he's super charming and winning and you see him talk and you're like, oh wow, this guy, I want to hear him uh, talk about everything. Um, but what I saw from Benjamin Zander once, I don't, I don't even know if it's on YouTube somewhere. Somebody had a clip um, that was, uh, it was, a live um, mentoring session with uh, a 12-year-old cello prodigy. Mm-hmm. And so and it, was, it was in front of an audience, and, uh, and, and the idea was we're, we're seeing how Benjamin works with youth, because Benjamin is also the, the, uh, the director of the Youth Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And, uh, and so it's obviously like a nervy experience, right, for a 12-year-old, right? Yeah. You're, you're in front of all these people, and you're like trying to play cello. And the kid's a prodigy, so it's like, I mean, like musical prodigies probably have a little bit of a perfectionistic tendency, right? Maybe, in their, a, little. In their, maybe a little bit. Um, and I think that that was the point because you actually see Xander 
uh, gradually like unlock the kid with just so much grace. He's he's wonderful to listen to, Benjamin Zander. Like he he um, he keeps going. And so there's this line that that sticks with me, and this is why this is the picture of grace for me. Um, where every time the kid makes a mistake, as they're like going through, let's play the piece again. And every time the kid makes a mistake, he kind of like he, he kind of makes a face. And I do that too. Like if I'm playing guitar, like I make a little face when I make a, make a mistake. And and so uh, Benjamin Zander, he he uh, he notices it and he says he says why why do you do that? Why do you do that? when you when you make that mistake you go and he keep and he like exaggerates the face. You know why why do you, he says when you make a mistake, what you say to yourself is how fascinating. Mm-hmm. And and I love that line. Mm-hmm. I, I have st- I have taken that with me. Of when I make a mistake, I don't like I am doing I am doing a face to myself at, when I'm muttering an expletive under my breath. But instead, if I can get to a point where I say, "How fascinating!" When I make a mistake, like ah plans ah, that really didn't work. How fascinating! Uh, and and I, that to me is such a memorable picture of grace for me. Is seeing this yeah. guy in action. Yeah. I love that. Well, maybe um, we can go to some scripture here, too, yeah. to talk about grace. Yeah, yeah. Um, a phrase that immediately comes to mind for me is this idea of grace upon grace that's found in the start of John. Um, so this is pointing to the flow of grace as something bigger beyond ourselves. And it's talking about Jesus in this particular verse, saying that Jesus is full of grace and truth. From this fullness, we have received grace upon mm. grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love this because it's giving us a clear picture of being able to look at Jesus as the image of grace and truth, but also that we get to build upon that. Yes. That grace is actually a dynamic and it's something bigger. It's still being uh, added to and uh, and put together yes. as we go on. Oh, I yeah, love it. that I we get it. to join in and participate yeah. with the grace that's already at work. Yeah. I think I think my favorite um, my favorite reference to uh, graces we're using it in in the scriptures is um, it's it's like one of the most repeated things in the New Testament of the Bible, but it's very rarely preached on because it's just the greeting hmm. to uh, a lot of the letters that make up the New Testament. Evidently, this was like a common thing that you would say is grace and peace to you, and that's the way that letters begin. And it's just a greeting, so it's it's kind of like skipped over, but it's really quite beautiful, mm-hmm. and I I love that and. Uh, th- uh, there's a there's there's a song that's really meaningful to me that's tried to take that line, grace and peace to you, stretch it out, and just say you know like the way that a, a classical piece of music will take one line and just marinate in it and sing it and sing it in different ways and then sing it in a slightly different way. But this idea, holding on to grace and peace to you, that's the way I want to. That's the vibe I want to give off when I meet mm-hmm. somebody or when I greet somebody or when I see somebody. I love that. I think yeah. that's really great. And 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 it it kind of gets at that idea of like. Let's just let's just make sure that pre-existing across our relationship right from the start is grace. Yeah, I you're love leading that. with grace. You're leading with grace. I really like that. So grace and peace to you is kind of my my go-to in terms of um, uh, where we see this uh, unpacked in like the Jesus tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm. The uh, the there's a uh, great uh, talking about grace versus forgiveness in the way that we've talked about it isn't the only way that you might you know define grace or forgiveness, but I think it's I think it's a useful way that we talk about that distinction between the two. Um, maybe the the tradition from the church that most gets at the way that we're defining it here would be the Wesleyan or the Methodist mm-hmm. tradition, uh, and they have this idea of what's called prevenient grace to describe what they're talking about. Prevenient grace is the the wooing, the luring, the drawing, the empowering of God that is happening moment to moment before any human decision or action is made, uh, before any 
you know, movement on me to partner with what God is doing or listen to what God is doing or reject what God is doing, God's prevenient grace is always there. And, uh, and so it's not a reaction, like we were saying, to fallenness or, you know, to something that's, that, that's wrong. It's just always there. And, it's nothing, and therefore, it's nothing to be ashamed of that we need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really like that position. I, I, think, that, um, I think it allows us, if we, can, if we can hold to the idea of prevenient grace, it allows us to hold um, two sort of paradoxically true things at the same time. One is that we are made in the image of God. We are good. We are, we are not rotten or ugly or guilty until proven innocent. We are, we, are, we are at our core worthy of love. And yet, the second thing that is kind of paradoxical, we are limited and imperfect. And by definition, we need a lot of help that we can't give ourselves. I think of like Jesus saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Those two things held together, I think, is a really healthy place to live, where we have a real sense of self-worth, and yet we don't think that we have all we need. We, do, we, do, we are able to acknowledge humbly that we need help that we can't give ourselves. And I think that theologies that, that, are, that are too focused on, like, you know, uh, uh, total depravity, you know, you are just, mm-hmm. you, are, you are empty and horrible until God makes you good— I think it misses that part it, 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 that, we, that we need on the other side, and vice versa. I think that theologies that are too individualistic of just like, I, I, am, I am good and worthy of love and I don't need anyone else. I can just do it myself. That, I think, it just inflames the idea that we need to prove ourselves all the time because it all comes down to us. I love the idea of holding them together, and I think that's yeah. what a, a good theology of grace does for us. Yeah. Um, I think of... Uh, theologian Dallas Willard, who has a really great phrase that he says um, that grace is not a broom. It doesn't clean up after us as we yeah. go, like as we make messes. It doesn't just sweep up after us. It's before. Um, it's before. Yeah. That it, yeah. Yeah. it exists both apart from us and within mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. Um, and then traditionally, grace, the word that's used, um, there's a, a translation where it's gift. Hmm. is actually um, the phrase in the original language in Greek. So I love this idea that it's not transactional, that you're not earning grace. I like that. I like that, um, yes. That mm-hmm. it's not based off of this like need to clean up the messes, yep. but that it's a gift and it's a given and it's, yeah, that it comes from a, something apart from you. And, and that feels really important, whether it is we personally have spent more time being formed by hyper-religious messages, mm-hmm. which make us think like we need to... Um, we need to perform, 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 or else we will, you know, not get our ticket to heaven. That is, uh, that th- even, even, when, even when language like grace is used all over those, we, the, the, in, the message you intuit is like, I'm still bad unless I mm-hmm. pray a prayer or am a good boy or a good girl or something like that. So whether you've experienced that, grace really feels like water on, a dry, on, on dry land. But it also feels like water on dry land, I think, to our more, our more um, secular spiritual messages w- uh, of this idea of um, everything is a transaction. And I'm constantly looking over my shoulder um, because if somebody does something nice for me, do I need to do something nice in return? Uh, because the only way we know how to think about things is through transactions. Um, I think grace really speaks powerfully to both of those situations if grace yeah. is a gift. So I, I like that, that translation work. Uh, it does feel that um, grace is also uh, an important thing to, to note that it's all the more important for marginalized populations. So like marginalized populations will have 
more limitations uh, placed upon them outside of their control, then uh, that they have no they have no ability to influence or change themselves. But because they are marginalized, people are less aware of this, so they are often not given grace. And so we often here will talk about how each person, each of us here who make up this community, or anybody you meet, is many overlapping features of identity, and some of those features of identity carry more privilege in our society, and some of them carry less. And so based on the language you speak, or your race, or your religion, or your gender identity, or sexual orientation, or like your body, or your job, or any one of these things might, might uh, it, it, you know, you overlap those things together, and then you are many things. You are, you are many different uh, things all at once, and the unique combination for you may set you up to be less likely or more likely to experience grace in our culture. So like non-native English speakers, tend to experience less grace. Hmm. Non-white people tend to experience less grace. Women, gender non-conforming individuals tend to experience less grace. You know, it goes on. Uh, couples that are same sex, you know, tend to experience less grace. Individuals with disabilities tend to experience less grace, right? Like we can just, um, blue collar jobs. Like if you, if, you, if you talk about your job not being in an office, but you know, in a factory somewhere, you will experience less grace. It's just like, it, 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 it's sort of endless if we think about how grace happens, not just interpersonally between two people, am I giving you grace, but how it happens in a culture. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important um, to recognize the way that this functions societally and not just on an individual yep. level. Yep. So all of these inter intersecting identities that we have, um, the access to grace is really what's standing out to me. Access to grace, I like that. About. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that because it, the, the idea that grace is there, but if we are if we are putting obstacles in front of people mm -hmm. accessing it, um, then then you know we're we're not communicating God's grace. We are not partnering with that prevenient grace that God yes. is giving to let it flow to the folks, to the people. Yeah, let it flow to the people. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about the flow of grace, which uh -huh. you've named a few times here. Um, I'm wondering if we could provide some examples of what it looks like to actually live into this flow of grace. Yes. So um, let's let's we'll try and go as rapid fire as possible with some uh, some ways that we can participate in the flow of grace. How's that? Um, first one I would say is look for things to thank your roommates, partners, family members, coworkers, neighbors, kids for. Look for things to thank them for. I think when people feel seen for things they're doing, they are less likely to feel guilty for what it is they're not, they're not, it's not always possible for them to do. So I think that's a way that we can participate in the flow of grace. Number two, I would say, um, is, uh, is actually another thing from um, the theologian you brought up, Dallas Willard, is a line that I learned from Dallas Willard. It's uh, the spiritual practice of choosing to not try to have the last word. The spiritual practice of choosing to not try to have the last word. And I think especially if you are somebody who does experience societal privilege, this is an important one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I try to think about this one a lot because I'm often given the last word just by benefit of being a middle class white straight guy. And um, I, I think a lot about like, can I, can I really intentionally look for ways that I do not have the last word, but somebody else does? Yeah, I think being conscious of the space that you're taking up is so important. Mm -hmm. 
and not needing, especially Grace, I think really disarms the need to be on the defense all of the time. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a good catch. And so instead of needing to jump in with the last word to sum things up, to restate somebody else's words for them. Which was already said. To yeah. mansplain yeah. whatever's going yeah. on. Yeah. To, yeah. Um, but I think that need for like being on the defense and making sure that people know clearly what you're saying and that it's not getting misconstrued or anything. I think that that actually becomes an, an obstacle to participating in the flow of grace. It does. And if we're talking about how, if we're, if we're mindful of the fact that grace is not, e the access to grace is mm -hmm. not evenly distributed, that uh, it's important we say that correctly. Yes. Because grace is evenly distributed, but, but access, access to grace yeah. is not evenly distributed. So it, because that's the reality, this is a way that you who has more access to grace can try to level the playing field, make yeah. that more equitable. Um, that's a good one. Um, uh, number three, another another idea I have is uh, to try and turn judgments into curiosity. Um, this is a uh, something I've heard lots of people suggest. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a common you know flip your judgment mm -hmm. from um, how could they do that to I wonder why they did that. Um, that's the kind of idea of what we mean by um, judgments to curiosity. My wife and I are really trying to trying to work on this. Uh, I think we find we recently identified that we find ourselves like saying, how could they do that? A little bit more than we like. And we would, we would love to instinctively in those moments ask, I wonder why they did that, rather than how could they do that? Um, and I, I just think that that's another way that, that grace flows outward rather than we, it stops with us. Yeah. We started off by talking about music with this whole series. Yeah. And so a, a album song yeah. that oh, I want to yeah. toss in yeah, here. More music. I love it. More music. Um, Marcus Mumford, who's the singer in Mumford and Sons, um, has a new album that he just came out with, and he actually sings specifically about forgiveness and mm. about grace, which mm. is why it caught my attention. Mm. Um, but he's very clearly working through some stuff in yeah. this music. Yeah. And it's interesting, what's been most interesting for me to listen to is he actually operates out of this place of curiosity, of wondering about the person mm. who did something wrong to him, wow. and saying, I wonder where this came from. I've wondered like what you've been through. Wow. Um, and that to me, that's heroic. Seems yeah. Like a huge undertaking. Yeah. And even in his song about forgiveness, he says something along the lines of like, I'll say I forgive you if that'll help me know how to. Mm. Um, and so there's something about this language that we can know to be true, but we have to live into it. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that his beautiful, his music really beautifully captures that. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Um, another um, idea I have of ways we can participate in the flow of grace um, is to choose honesty rather than disassociation when we feel guilty. And why did I use that word? Because it's a very specific word. Choose <laughs> honesty rather than disassociation when you feel guilty. Um, I, I, I feel like disassociation is a really, is a very tempting response for secular liberals to guilt, and I'm definitely one of them, um, because we're terrified all the time of being called out as like a fraud or appearing as not in the know as we as we want to be or as mm -hmm. we imagine ourselves to be, and so um, we might disassociate in those situations when we feel guilty by defending ourselves. I think that's my pet problem there. Um, I'm not guilty because, and then I have some like elaborate mansplaining probably <laughs> thing that makes me feel better about myself, but sort of just incriminates me more probably. Um, 
but another way of disassociating, I think, is avoiding. Like, let me just remove or distance myself from the situation because mm -hmm. I'm just too uncomfortable. I'm, it, ooh, I don't like being confronted with the fact that I'm not as in the know or not as, um, I don't know, you know, cool or, or um, up with the times as I yeah. thought I would be. Or I, I must be a fraud. I'm going to distance myself. Um, I think we're terrified of being judged all the time. And, and rightly so, because being judged sucks. And, you know, in the world of social media, judgment, like, wh what's all the studies of, like, when you, when, when kids um, are mean to each other in person, at least they get the, like, the feedback of, like, oh, that person doesn't hmm. feel nice because they're, they're, uh, they're the way that they acted physically. But, like, when on social media, you just mean and you don't get any visual feedback, and so you're just mean, and you don't actually, like, address it. So, like, there, there's judgment out there. And so yeah. it's right for us to feel kind of afraid of being judged. Um, but to, I, I think to borrow a phrase from uh, Father Richard Rohr, um, if we don't transform our guilt, we will transmit our guilt. Mm. Um, Rohr has this idea of transforming and transmitting. If we do not transform our guilt, we will transmit our guilt. And I think what that means is if we are not you know, choosing to just be honest when we feel guilty, like, wow, I, I didn't know that. I really want to improve. Um, thank you for correcting me. You know, things yeah. like that. Um, if we're not doing those things and just like, like opening up to the chance that we might be limited and we don't have to prove ourselves, we're not broken if we're yeah. limited or if we made a mistake, then we will defend or avoid and that will just pass the buck to the next person. It will transmit the, the, the guilt shaming that's mm -hmm. going all around in the atmosphere around us. We won't, it won't stop with us and begin a flow of grace. Yeah, um, Cole Arthur Riley in This Here Flesh actually talks about this idea of how our shame and our guilt, I think she stresses more the shame piece of it, but mm. activates shame in those around us. But our liberation can mm. also activate, activate liberation, liberation in others around us. Yeah. It's this idea of being freed from the need to prove ourselves constantly, which actually means embracing that we're limited. Like that form of liberation can activate that in other people around us too. Yeah, yeah. And that, that I think goes back to that idea of like a really healthy place to, like what's the, what's the foundational like kind of belief about what it means to be human and how God is related to that? I think it's holding those two things paradoxically. Of, you are loved by God. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us is worthy of love from the God of the universe and from other human beings. Fundamentally, you don't do anything to earn that. That's like that, that grace comes before everything else, peace. And yet, by definition of you being you and not somebody else and not everywhere all at once, you are limited. Mm -hmm. And so you, 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 we, we all need help that we cannot give ourselves, and that is okay. That is nothing to run from. It's nothing to have to prove ourselves that it's not the case. And, and when, we can, when we can hold those two things at once, it's, it's a really beautiful thing because we can, we can feel limited and we can still feel loved. And, uh, it, it, and I mean, like that, that, that's the place to live. That, that is where health is. Yeah. Um, what do we have here? Do I have so one more? Four. I think there's. Do you, do you have any more of ideas we can participate in the flow of grace? I think um, we've talked a little bit about how this functions communally and not just individually, yeah. but being a community of grace. Mm. Um, if we can practice not keeping score. Yeah. Not make micromanaging. Yes. Yeah, yeah, all the transactions. Yeah. Not micromanaging people's behaviors. Mm. Not over asking mm. or encouraging people to just push through whatever's going on. Mm. Um, some people in the chat, it's come up a few times of mm. naming workspaces as really in past weeks it's come up um, of how moving away from this productivity thread and need to be overproductive yes. all the time. 
um, which just isn't possible when we're limited human beings, that, that can be really difficult in work. Um, and so I'm wondering if self-care in that setting actually means things fall through the cracks because then the expectations can be adjusted, but yeah. that's really, really scary work. Yeah. And um, it takes these like smaller interactions on a personal level that shape the bigger communal identity as a whole. And so what does it mean to operate with grace with your immediate coworkers or your team or the people you're alongside hoping of? That that hoping that that spreads outward. Yeah, that mm. the liberation activates liberation in other places too. Yeah, I um, a, a, like an image for church that I really like that I've, I've heard over the years is church as a laboratory for the rest of the relationships in your life mm. um, with the idea that we experiment with things like grace, radically giving grace to each other um, in the way that you're responding. So that's like, that's the way this community operates. But the idea is not that it's Jay's just in this community, but it is a laboratory for us to then extend those things beyond. And look, we've, 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 we've tried this and it really worked. Let me do that in my workplace. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I can go a little bit out of order with what we had uh, planned, I think that that's a useful place to talk about um, our plan for community for the fall as yes, a church. Yeah. Um, so uh, what we, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you'll have heard this already, but we do want to mention it because every week we have new folks with us and you know we know that not everybody's at church every week, so that's okay. You don't have to, you're not guilty for that. Did you know that? You're not guilty. Um, but what we've been talking about is this idea of communal matches. Um, so everybody wants to connect, uh, but everyone feels guilty that they're not using their time or resources well enough to make connection happen for themselves. We want to address that that issue. We, do, we want to prov help provide community experiences of connection and relationships and building new friendships for people in our church that doesn't inflame guilt, <laughs> all that we've been talking about. Um, if you have spent a fair amount of time in churches in America, then you may know that often the structure for facilitating connection between people is small groups, right? A group of I don't know, four to 12 people that's meeting up regularly. And we have a handful of those. We love small groups. Uh, the, it's awesome. Thumbs up to small groups. However, in the last 10 years, the pace and the busyness of life, the acceleration, as we've talked about this month in September, has made the ongoing consistency of church small groups harder and harder to maintain for many people. And especially the first part of it, which is like the getting past the initial hump of getting to know people, is mm -hmm. so difficult when we live in this culture where there's constantly once a week things that we're committing to. There's so many things. There's things for our kids, there's things for us, there's things for our family, there's things for our work, and we have to hit all of them or else we feel not wildly guilty if we don't uh, make it to everything. And so we say yes to things, even though, oh, wait, I don't know if I can actually go to that thing. I just said yes because I aspire to go to that thing. And we just feel more guilty because we have to turn people down. We're trying to turn the dial down on that. Man, I even, like, I even felt myself tense as I was talking about it. Let's just... <laughs> Oh, gosh, can we turn the <laughs> dial down? This is, this is our thought. Um, we uh, are asking you, uh, I'm going to put a QR code up on the screen here for you uh, for our communal matches. It's right there. If you want to follow that QR code, or there's also a paper version to sign up for our communal matches in the, uh, on the table in the center of the theater. So if you want to sign up that way, you can. And what will happen if you sign up is you can, um, you can put your name down, you can put your name down with a partner or with a good friend, and then you will be uh, linked up with, paired with, or, or, or grouped with uh, another couple of people or one other person on uh, the communal matches once a month. The idea is once a month, you are paired. You are, you are matched. We are matchmakers now, and it's very fun. I love being a matchmaker. And our encouragement to you when you are matched once a month is get together with those folks. 
And it may be somebody who you know already. Cool. Build more friendship with them. It may be somebody who you've never met before. Awesome. You get to meet someone new. That's great. And uh, it may be somebody in the same stage of life as you, or it may be somebody in a radically different stage of life from you. That's all by design. We don't actually have many things that mediate connection between people from different stages of life, except family. But you need more than just your family. What if you, don't, what if you have a hard time with your family? I can't imagine anybody who has a hard time with their family. And so this is what community can do for us if, if, we, if, we, if we put some, some railroad tracks down for us to, to make it a little bit easier. And that's what we're trying to do right now. So, if you want to sign up for our communal matches, that means that um, in, uh, at the start of October, you will get matched. You'll get paired up. You'll get an email from the church, and it'll be saying, hey, you are paired with such and such people, and get together, and you can have a meal, or maybe, maybe there's somebody who joins us from afar, and so you can't actually get together, and we were saying you can you know, pop open a bottle of wine over Zoom and, <laughs> and chat, and we're going to provide conversation starters, because that can make things easier if you don't know people already, or you can throw the conversation starters out and just talk about what you want to talk about, but communal matches, I think, is a way for us to, um, you know, over the course of six months, you, you you, maybe you don't meet everybody and, you know, and, and have like the perfect connection with every single person, but you had a great connection with one or two people. And at the very least, you, you show up on Sunday and there's another person that you can sit next to and know their name. And that is really valuable. And, uh, and I do think that that's going to go a long way for this idea of our church being a laboratory for community of grace that can extend further, not just to the people in our community. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. So Vince, do you have any final thoughts when it comes to wrapping up this conversation on New Guilt? Although yeah. I'm sure that it's going to come It'll back. It'll come up again, but yeah. this, I, I mentioned when we started, like that I've been thinking about this series for like a year. I was mm-hmm. really excited to talk all this month about this, and I had like way too many things that I wrote down, <laughs> and Haley was like, this is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering here if there's um, something that you want to leave us with, some yeah. final thoughts. It's hard, it's hard for me to decide what I want to leave us <laughs> with. Um, but um, yeah, let me... Let me give kind of a final, um, a final suggestion, and then maybe, I think we have time today, maybe we'll, maybe we'll take a moment to like just peruse through the chat and see if there's anything that we want to respond to in the moment, um, because we're, we're doing well on time. But let me, let me offer one final thought before we do that. Um, I think what I want us to do as a community um, is to consider what the, the Christian call to love our neighbor means mm-hmm. in our cultural context. A lot of what we've done during this series um, is talk about, like, what, what is the culture that we live in? What, what, it, uh, what about it, um, it? Why is it that it, guilt is so inflamed in our context? Um, and, and a lot of what we talked about is this, this idea that we keep bringing up of, like, individuals are responsible for curating themselves. Mm-hmm. We have, to, we have to, you know, make up who we are and show it to the world, curate it, and then, and then make sure that everybody sees it. That, all of that work rests on the shoulders of individuals in our culture, whereas previously, hundreds of years ago, or even as, as recent as, like, you know, in the last 60, 70 years, lots of that work was done by the communities that you belonged to. Uh, you, you didn't have to, you know, make up who you were all on your own. It was, it, it, part of it was the culture you came from or mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the religious community that you, that you grew up in. But now things are different. And there's good things about it being different. It's not all bad, but this is just what is. And so what that means is that a really high value in our world is the recognition of other 
selves. Because all of us have to curate our own selves, and a really high value in our culture is recognize all the others, other selves. I think on our culture's terms, this is what it takes for individuals to feel loved. Is that you're, the, uh, myself is recognized by Haley, and that's what makes me feel loved. And Haley feels loved when herself is recognized by another human being. And so if, if our call, if we are followers of Jesus, is to love our neighbor, and that's what love often means in our context, not all of what love means, but it is a big part of what love means, then what do we, what, what, what does that mean for us? What, 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 are the, what are the challenges of that? I wonder if one of the things that maybe feels hard to say or hard to admit is that a Christian call of service to others or love of neighbor is sort of a call to hold more guilt than others. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because every other self out there that needs to be recognized is another potential chance for us to feel guilty because we didn't do it right. And so if we are called to love all of these people and recognize all of these selves, we are accepting a sort of responsibility that I'm gonna, I'm gonna welcome the potential for more guilt in my life if that's something I'm choosing to like, get myself behind. That's, that's quite, a, quite a thing to sign up for, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's, like, it's, it's worth like, stepping back and being like, okay, yeah, that's what, that's what it takes in my culture. Now, I'm not saying overdo this. I think that's really important, and especially as we were talking about the access to grace not being as even for different peoples, especially mm-hmm. marginalized groups. I would say if, you're, if your identity includes a lot of ways in which you are marginalized in our larger culture, I would be careful with this. I would exercise caution. I would not recommend that you necessarily decide, I'm going to hold more guilt than others, because culture is not doing you favors on that front. But if you, especially if you're somebody who just enjoys a lot of privilege. I think this is a real call for me. I think my call to love my neighbor as a follower of Jesus is to hold more guilt than other people and just be able to, now I have to, I have to transform that, right? Because if I don't transform it, I will transmit it and there'll just be more mm-hmm. guilt and I'll be, I'll be participating in the flow of guilt, not participating in the flow of grace. But if I can accept that responsibility and really like think like, I I long to show people more grace. I long to be a part of those communities that are, that are, that are, that are continuing the flow of grace. If I can recept, accept the responsibility that comes with that, I think that really powerful things can be communicated to those around us, that they are worthy of love mm-hmm. and that they are okay and not broken if they are limited. But it takes recognizing that cost. And that cost, like it, it's sort of like Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me. I think a cross that we pick up and follow Jesus in, in our world is you have to hold a lot of guilt if you're going to love others. Because every other self out there is another potential you feel more guilt. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it ties back into um, where you started with the, um, the passage of come to me, yeah. all you who are weary and I will give you rest. Yeah. And this idea of Jesus not being a burden adder, because yes. if you're holding all this guilt, you're not going to be, hold, be able to hold much yes. beyond that. Of, or anybody else's. Yeah. Yes. yes. And so to be able to have this divine source of love that's actually relieving that, right. that you have access to that um, 
support and companionship in navigating all of that, yeah. I think makes a world of a difference. And I think that's right. And I love, I love the way you nuanced that because when we say that to love our neighbor in this cultural context means you hold more guilt, it's not because God is heaping more guilt upon you. Yeah. That's because of our culture. That's because of the way that things work in our world and our lifestyles. God is not the one giving you more guilt. God is the one who can help us carry that so that we can start more flows of grace around mm-hmm. us. Um, but, but nonetheless, that is, that, is a, that is a cross that our world has set up before us, and we do have to carry it if we're, if we're serious about loving our neighbors in this context. I want to look through our chat really okay. fast, because we have, it's, like a, it's, a, it's not quite a 10 after 11, so we have like two or three more minutes if we want to look at something here. I'm going to look through... Um, oh, uh, oh, great. Yes, more. I feel like every week we have Ted Lasso references here and not even realizing <laughs> it. But somebody mentioned, like, be curious, not judgmental is uh, also is mentioned in Ted Lasso. I think mm-hmm. that's right. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of energy for the be curious, not judgmental. That's what I'm seeing here. Yeah. And... Oh, I got, oh, yes, I like this. Okay, I'm going to read, I'm a, I'll, uh, m- maybe I'll, I'll put this one up on, um, from, from Abby, our moderator. Read this in a novel recently, and it's been living rent-free in my brain. I love living <laughs> rent-free, first off. That's great, Abby. Uh, there are two things a man must learn to say when he's young, or he will learn to say them, uh, uh, um, learn to say them through tears. Thank you, and I'm sorry. That is so, that so gets at that, I think, that paradoxical thing that we have to hold of, I am, I am lovable. I am worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And yet, I also need help that I can't get myself. And um, to hold those two things at the same time, I love that. Yes, if we, if we don't learn to say it when we are young, we will learn to say it through tears when we're older. Yeah, mm-hmm. Great stuff. That's good. Credit goes to Rebecca for that. Nice. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very good. This was fun. Um, I think we should pray. Sounds good. Cool. <sighs> okay, well, we're going to pray. So if you want to um, take a deep breath with me and um, if you would like to close your eyes or leave your eyes open, that's totally cool, whatever makes you feel comfortable in this space. Sometimes I, I don't close my eyes, but I like to like focus on a, on a corner of the room because it's not distracting. And you can pray with me. Oh God, as we began this series several weeks ago, and we started by saying, having a practice of saying to ourselves, I forgive myself. Today, as we pray, we look at our limitations, we look at our plans that have been dashed, we look at the things that leave us feeling guilty, the people that we wish we would have recognized better, And we look at ourselves and all of that, and we say, how fascinating, (laughs) how fascinating that that I didn't do that perfectly. How fascinating that I messed that up. How fascinating that I am kind of blundery and awkward and, oh, I could have done that better and I didn't. How fascinating. And God, would that sort of attitude spread its roots into us? That that is the way we treat ourselves. That we would take on what you show us your attitude toward us is like in Jesus, full of grace and truth. 
full of grace and truth. We are not broken when we are limited. We are not bad when we feel constantly guilty. We are navigating this culture as best we can, and it's hard. We look to you to relieve our burdens. We come to you because we are weary and we are heavy laden, and we ask that you would give us rest. As we just take a few deep breaths in and out, I just encourage you to hold in your mind what it, uh, so something that, that quickly, uh, you don't have to share it with anybody, but just hold in your mind something that makes you feel guilty, as uncomfortable as that is. Think of something now, recall it, or like place it in the forefront of your mind. And then we're going to take some deep breaths together as we focus on that. And we're just going to say to ourselves, how fascinating. <laughs> we're not going to judge ourselves. Okay, so ready? We're going to take a deep breath in. How fascinating. We hold this thing in our brain that just causes us to clam up or avoid or defend, but we don't do that. We choose to do differently. We choose to step into your grace, God. We did a deep breath in. How fascinating. We thank you for this space to practice these things, and we ask that you would help us to move that practice into more areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.